Welcome to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast that looks at what we give up in order to thrive. I'm John Hegarty, chairman of Soho-based independent media agency Electric Glue. In this series, I'm talking to people about what they have sacrificed to be where they are today. With me today is Lorenzo Bruno Nero Delalio, OBE, better known as Lawrence Delalio, a retired rugby union player and former captain of England, founder of Delalio Rugby Works, a charity that uses the values of rugby to help re-engage disadvantaged youth with life. Tell me a bit about, because I understand you're part Italian and mm. British and English, Irish. You've got... Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I, I mean, first of all, it's um, it's. I mean, it's a beautiful name, really. I mean, my father was first generation Italian. Um, my mother was was Irish. So um, I don't know. I'm never quite sure, really. I'm half Italian, half Irish, which. I guess makes me quite a dangerous Englishman. I think yeah. probably the best way, but <laughs> no. Dangerous, not, so I'm interviewing a dangerous Englishman yeah. here. And for those who don't know Lawrence Delalio, who is about six foot four and six foot four wide, I tell you, when he says dangerous, I know what he means. No, I, I was born on St Lawrence's Day, tenth uh, of August, and I didn't really appreciate them. I was named after St Lawrence until I I was um, many years later. I was up at Ampleforth College, and I was in an interview with my mother and father. Uh, and which is a wonderful school in Yorkshire, Benedictine Monastery. Um, quite why I was sent up there was was beyond me, really. It was a long way from home. But anyway, I was going for the interview, and the, the headmaster, he said to me, your name? He said, Lawrence. He said, it's a very special name in this part of the world, and I'm 13 years of age, and he sort of, my mum's kicking me under the table. I had no idea. I thought, Not well, in agreement, not in I, agreement. I just sort of guessed. So I said, his words just came out of my mouth, and it just said, yeah, it's patron saint of, of of the school and he said yes he said it is he was amazed that I could understand this knowledge and then he said when was your birthday and I said 10th of August and again his face lit up and he said that's a very special day and I sort of just put two and two together and said St Lawrence's Day and then the penny dropped that actually my mum had called me Lawrence because I was born on St Lawrence's Day on but, St Lawrence's but Day but Br Bruno is, is, which means brown in English was my uncle Nero of course was the was the was the was the emperor, but also my 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 grandfather uh, and Delalio, Dalalio, which is literally translated from the garlic. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I look very Anglo-Saxon. I don't think I look Italian. I would uh, I would agree with that. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I I think you quite you become quite proud of your name eventually because uh, you know when you're younger you think well, that's a bit strange. It's not. John were you, Smith. Were you it's not John kind of, Smith or Dave yeah, Brown. Yeah, I know. Were you ridiculed for your name at all? Well, were you a, laughed a, at? A little bit, but then again, you know, that's... Mind a, you, when you're six foot four... Well, yeah, eventually I, I sort of, you know, when I grew about six or seven inches over one summer, you suddenly get a lot of friends, don't you, really? But no, I was very I was very proud, and I'm very proud of my Italian heritage, my my my, my past, my family. I mean, I think you, you get to, you know, really appreciate that and really feel very proud of that, and to have that, you know, kind of as part of your upbringing I think makes you slightly you know it gives you an amazingly different perspective I think that's fantastic and I, I I, you know there is a dangerous element around today isn't there of kind of you know nationalism uh, and the way people approach it and suddenly you know waving the cross of St George and all of that and I'm English and what does that mean we're all actually sort of hybrids in some shape or form there's no such thing as pure which is the biggest nonsense anybody ever said but celebrating your heritage I think is crucially important and not losing it and not yeah. leaving it behind yeah, I agree with that I think it's important to not, not to be too I mean to reflect and look back to understand you know the, the, the wonderful program they have on TV who do you think you are or where you know where do you come from I mean everyone should should really be part of that you know everyone should understand where they've come from and and maybe that drives some of our behaviors the way we the way we are the way we we behave in, in lots of different ways you know you tend to things are passed down the generations and some of it you choose to keep and and keep in your kind of uh, library and and others you you might sort of get rid of and try and replace with other with other skills and other things it's lovely that because it, i think it encourages you to build bridges not walls yeah. so often you see and meet people who want to build walls as opposed to bridges and reach out and I think that background really really helps you understand that it is about bridges it's about absolutely and I mean I, I think I realized very early on that family um, was a really big part of 
of my life um you know having an italian family uh, and then an, uh, a sort of english irish east end but irish um origins again you know my mother was one of 10 my father was one of five i've got 44 cousins um you know it's quite extraordinary really mm. um so you know that whole sense of family is really important you can imagine um my mother was brought up in 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 Stepney and Bethnal Green in the East End of London. So, you know, in, during the war, so family was a really critical part of that kind of, that period. And, and my father equally in, in Italy, you know, family is everything to, mm. to the Italians really. So um, yeah, it, it's, it, it was always very central to, um, to, to the way we were brought up as well. There's a wonderful song by Rai Kuda and it's called Across the Borderline. And actually, I always say to people, Willie Nelson does the best version of it, in my view. And it is about people who've sacrificed to leave somewhere, mm. to go somewhere else for a better life or whatever reason. And I think we often forget that. And, you know, you turn on the television and you see people crossing the Mediterranean now seeking a better life and the sacrifices they've had to make to do that. And, and lots of us in our families have sort of a story that could be not as desperate as that but about yeah. people having to leave somewhere to go somewhere else and I think that sacrifice is becomes very profound and to respect it is important yeah I mean I think as we you know when we have children and the next generation we always try and create a better environment so you know to make their lives a bit better than the lives that you experience and I think I was very when you talk about sacrifice, I mean, my, my father was born in 34, came to London in, in 1955, probably to, you know, learn his fourth language at the time. You know, the, the Europeans were incredible. He already spoke Italian, French, Spanish, and he wanted to come to London to learn English. And, and he came here at the age of 22, you know, started as a waiter in the Cumberland Hotel. And then, you know, he's still living here now at age 86. So, you know, he, he left Italy to to learn english and have and, and explore and and then never to, never never came back so and what i what what i really recognized growing up was my parents were incredibly working class really they had they owned a um my father started as a waiter but they they owned a sweet shop in in on commercial road in the east end of london and i was there at the age of of six sort of behind the counter and so many vivid memories of the same people that came into the shop in the morning were the same people that came in in the evening there was you know there was a real sense of community community in the east end it's a very different place now as you as we all know but you know there was a little tray of single cigarettes that, that was sold on the counter and 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 there was rituals and routines but but very working class um and then just the enormous sacrifices that my parents were were making even then because they had my sister and I, Francesca was was three years older than me, but they wanted to provide in a way that maybe they weren't provided for in in, in the same way. Um, and I always say to people, you know, I was given two of the greatest things you can give a, a young person, a child in their life. Um, the first is unconditional love, even to the point where, you know, many years later when the police knocked on the door and said, you know, Mrs. Lanio, you know, is your son Lawrence there? She said, I'm, I think there's definitely a case of mistaken identity or you must have the wrong house. But to unconditional love, um, you know, not just, uh, you know, very outward displays of emotion as you would expect from from uh, from their backgrounds, particularly in Italy. Uh, you know, hugs, kisses, you know, that's only, only just come into fashion about 20 years ago in, in, in England. But um, But also the other thing was just a belief system that you could go out there and conquer the world, that anything was possible. Now, I don't know whether that belief system was born out of a resilience that happened in that to that generation, but just just pumping you full of self-belief and and uh, and confidence, really. And my mother, every interaction she had with me and with everyone was always a positive interaction. You know, that's and, a brilliant thing to be given, oh, isn't it? It's the greatest gift yeah. in the world because you know we're. I mean, there's there's lots of things we can guarantee in life. One is that we arrive with nothing, uh, and we leave with and nothing. Leave, yeah. And what happens in between is really important. And I think we, rightly or wrongly, spend our whole life chasing health, wealth, happiness, status, all these things. And and actually, the greatest gift in the world is giving, and the greatest gift is also sharing as well, um, because we're we're all on this planet together, really, and we're in it together. 
and you know to give and and when i say give i don't mean a gift i mean you know give your give your energy give your give your spirit give your you know and my mother from the very early age not just with me but with other children with anyone she came into contact with would just you know there was a pep talk there was a team talk there was a there was a you know pump you full of self belief whatever mood you're in you'd leave in a better place when when you when you and and i think that is a special kind of person that is, has got that ability to lift your spirits um and it's something that i've i've tried to keep with me really because it doesn't cost anything to be nice and be positive and and be kind to people and try and try and make them feel better so yes unconditional love and a belief system that you could you could achieve. conquer the world you, you know, shoot for the, the moon yeah. and you'll be amongst the stars um and nothing is unattainable um you know my mother decided to move from Bethnal Green to Barnes in southwest London I said so you know from a family of 10 in the east end I said that must have been a, an epiphany moment I said what were you thinking you know I'm very glad you did by the way and she just said that I knew I had to get out of the east end of London we had to make some sacrifices we had to do some things to to try and get us all to a you know to give us a, a better future and a better place and and you know that's what she did I must ask um you must ask your dad has he read the book the spaghetti tree and it's about uh, Marion Franco's Terrazzo restaurant on the corner of Romilly and Dean Street, out of which came all the great Italian restaurants. And Jamie Oliver finally was influenced by it. And uh, it was a place where the Italians really began to show the English how to cook. Oh, how is, to... I mean, my as you could imagine, my life has been, uh, food has been an enormous part of my life, our lives um, forever, really. I mean, we had olive oil and balsamic vinegar sort of 40 years ago in our house really and, and when all, you can only get it from the chemist when, yeah absolutely and <laughs> and my father was you know as a get he started life as a as a as a waiter in the cumberland hotel he ended up uh, managing the, the london metropole the savoy um you know worked in restaurants all throughout his career and then went on to be a lecturer in food and beverage service and management piero and vasco pavilion restaurant in soho here you know they were his two great friends he worked with both of them he designed the menu for for that restaurant years okay. ago um, it's a great restaurant actually yeah. I love it. He worked in the first Spanish restaurant called the Martinez in uh, in London and it was a it was owned by um an Italian um and he's and a Spanish he, restaurant owned by an yeah, Italian. Strange, I love it. That's and 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 he said to my dad look you need to go in there and you need to find you know keep an eye on the staff and tell me what's going on there because they were all Spanish the staff. And my dad said well I'm Italian I don't speak Spanish. He said well you'll you'll get to know it quite quickly and and he had he learned Spanish in about 3 months, you know. Oh, and, brilliant. So uh, no so I mean there, there was huge sacrifice and I think you know I was I was very aware of the fact that both of my parents were working their fingers to the bone in all these different professions. Um, my mother had four or five different jobs. She were I mean you know that generation worked she was a a chauffeur for Lord Bowater, you know, she was an air stewardess for British Caledonian. You know, she worked all, all her life, but she she would do three or four jobs at a time to put food on the table to provide. Um, and she wanted my sister Francesca and I to have the very best of everything in life. And, you know, she paid these incredible school fees. I mean, I just don't know how they did it. I really don't. Because I mean, actually for, you know, coming from a working class background, ample forth would yeah. have been... An incredibly yeah. expensive. Well, it uh, was, and and to be honest, to it, to. it was it was out of the question unless um, unless my, my sister was a dancer, she got a scholarship um, to uh, the Royal Ballet School to Elmhurst, and then I think my parents were able to afford to uh, to send me to to Ampleforth. Or my father must have done a sort of deal in in Barolo or Brunello wine. I think he, <laughs> he was importing you know Italian wine into the UK, you know, back in the day, and something for Sunday. Yeah, well, the, the, the <laughs> high monks, mass. The monks do like a little bit of uh, wine, you know. So tell me, so so there you are in this this very powerful working class background, and then sport comes into your life. So what was the journey into sport? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a family of sports uh, people in the, in, the, in the family. It wasn't in the history or the heritage. My father's family were violin makers. Uh, I mean, that sounds sort of something out of the movies, doesn't it? Italian father, violin makers. But no, genuinely, they made, they made and restored, you know, violins uh, in, uh, in Emilia-Romagna. Uh, and so I, I was in, I, I really liked music when I was younger. I did a lot of singing uh, at school. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be in the choir. I wasn't a great singer, but I think I was quite a good team player. I, you know, I was sort of, I was a good person to have in the choir. Um, probably 
you know, quite good on the social side and good fun, but I wasn't never going to be given a solo part. But, but you know, we sang in Evita here in, in the West End stage, wow. we, in the Prince Edward Theatre with Stephanie Lawrence and Elaine Page, and, and I sang it, you know, for Andrew Lloyd Webber at various things. We recorded at Abbey Road. We did a, a, a number one hit with Tina Turner. So music was a huge part of my life. And, and music's, you know, playing to an audience, right? I mean, it's, you know, and then suddenly my, 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 my music teacher taught me the piano for free, really, because he knew that my parents couldn't afford it. So he came to my house and, he, and he'd be happy with the quality of the wine that my dad would give him. And my father would cook him a meal, which was incredible. So he would teach me the piano. And he, he said to me, he said, I love coming here and I'm very happy to teach your son the piano. But he said, there's a crossroads that's going to happen in his life and between sport and music. And I can see that he's already... A decision has to be made. A decision has to be made. And, and he's veering towards sport. And, and, you know, I was actually, like a lot of people in this country, fascinated by football for some reason. You know, everyone wants to be a professional footballer when they grow up. And then if you, um, you realise that you're not very good and then you, you take up rugby um, and... Uh, and if if you're no good at that, they put you in a boat, I suppose. And you, if you can't catch, that's what happens, really. Um, and tell me, was there a moment when you picked up a rugby ball and went, ah, I get this? Not really. I mean, I, I got sent to Ampleforth because I was getting into a lot of trouble in London. And my mum sent me as far away as possible. And we were we were Catholic. And therefore, Ampleforth was the, the eminent Catholic school in the whole of the country. And so I went up there. And when I arrived, I realised that it was a... I mean, it was obviously a religion. It's a Benedictine monastery from 1802, but actually the religion there was rugby. They only played rugby. I mean, there was 27 rugby pitches every, you know, and I thought, where's the football, you know? And and then I, I very quickly sort of started to play rugby um, and it was freezing. I'd never been up, I'd never been to a place so cold in my life. Um, and I started on the wing and then I, uh, and so I, I, I sort of fell in love with rugby it, but not, you know, just by accident, really. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kind of uh, the vibe of, of, of being involved, in, you know, as part of a team, etc. Um, but I, I played, uh, you know, just every sport, really, as much as I could. Um, you know, my mum used to say to me, you are what you're exposed to in life, you know, good and bad. And she's very true. And, you know, I tried to expose and she tried to expose me to as many things as possible because that's what you do with young people. You, you don't quite know what they're... What, what they want to do they don't know what they want to do you know everyone's good at something some of us are lucky enough to find out what that is what that and, is yeah and and you you know i she opened as many doors as possible you know learn the saxophone learn the piano learn the learn this you know play rugby play cricket and and they sacrificed so much to do that at great cost to themselves um but i think that was just the generation that they were that they put other people before themselves you know it was a very selfless generation um, but i'm sure they got huge joy yeah absolutely out of seeing but, but I was. I think. I think when you're young, you don't realise necessarily. You don't appreciate that, that what's going on. Um, and it's only till you start to get a bit older and you realise actually. Maybe when you have children of your own and you realise that you know how 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 much it it, it takes on you. Um, that the sacrifices that were made. So so sport became a big part of my life. Always was from from the age of about twelve or thirteen all the way through. Um, and then rugby became a bit more kind of serious from the age of about 16 or 17 but then I had a very transformational moment in my life uh, you know where I lost my sister very tragically on yeah. the Marchioness riverboat disaster I was sat around the dinner table with my mum and my sister uh, and her boyfriend and I was invited and I would normally be quite up for a party um, but I decided to, to stay at home and then the next day she didn't come back so you know that was a obviously a devastating uh, loss um, overnight and you know quite understandably um, you know, it blew our world apart, really. We were a very tight-knit family, very close. And, and for a couple of years, I, I found life really difficult, as you'd imagine. You kind of question the reason for being. I was making a lot of poor decisions. I was, you know, my life was definitely going in a, in a, in a very... Spiralling down. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and yeah. just making some bad decisions and, and, and just living for the day and kind of wondering what, what it was all about, really. And then... You know, after a while, I, I thought to myself, I need to do, you know, and I need to do something. One, not only to help myself, because this is this is just getting worse and worse, but actually, I need to do something to help my mum and my dad because they're growing further and further apart. You know, burying one of your own children just doesn't even come into your into your mind um, when you, when when you have children. So, I I decided to join a rugby club, um, and it was very kind of out of the blue. I'd obviously enjoyed rugby. I'd, I'd shown a a bit of aptitude about it and I, I thought I've got to do something uh, so I picked up the newspaper and 
and I looked at the sport pages and I looked at the rugby and there was this team called Wasps that were um, at the top of the table. I thought, right, I'll go there. And I, I I found out it was in London, so that was a good start. And I got on the tube and I went to Wasps and I was in a really dark place. I was, I needed a family. I needed someone to put their arms around me. I needed someone to not talk about what happened in the past. I just needed needed that. And I walked into what could only be described as a what looked like a working man's club really um, in North London in a place called Sudbury. I'd come from a, a very posh private school that had 27 rugby pitches. I arrived at a rugby club that had two, uh, which was top of the table in England. I thought to myself, this is not quite what I expected. But, uh, but <laughs> I walked- quite the glamour no, I was looking but, for. But I walked in and from the moment I walked in, I, I was um, accepted uh, for what I was. Um, I was appreciated and no one asked about anything. They could see that I was a sort of slightly pained young man. Um, but rugby became a kind of a real motivation for me. Not just and that for, was what age? For you? Uh, that was eighteen. Eighteen. And that was not just for me. Uh, that was so. That was two years after the. Uh, that was nineteen ninety. So it was a after year after disaster. the disaster. Yeah. And it and it became a sort of therapy for me. And it also became a real, um, a, a real sort of community and family for my parents to sort of bring a smile back to their face and slowly but surely, you know, that's what we started to do. And and that's probably why I stayed there for 20 years. I never left. I joined Wasp and never left because it was such an important part of my life. And and um, my sister was one of these. She was an incredibly talented dancer. She she got into the Royal Ballet School at the age of eight after five lessons. Um, she did every single uh, exam. Uh, she got honours in every exam across all aspects of dance. Shaketti, modern you know modern dance, classical dancing, uh, and then got to. Uh, uh, you know, she passed her ARAD teaching exam and are just about to get a job to go and, and work in the uh, the Austrian uh, National Ballet, and then died on on an accident. And you, so she sacrificed everything, you know, for her for her, you know for her career, you know, to, to just all that hard work, and then it's gone in an instant. And I mean, listen, I I was, um, I mean, she was the the perfect child. She worked incredibly hard. She, I mean, she got honours in every exam. And, and I mean, I thought rugby players were, were hardworking, sports people were hardworking, dancers. It's a completely different level. And I was always in and out of trouble all the way through school. I wasn't particularly academic. And, and she would always have my back. She'd always say to my mum and dad, well, particularly my mother, she said, don't worry, Lawrence, he'll come good in the end. You know, and and, and obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I was traumatized uh, beyond belief uh, at losing my sister um, because you know we hadn't spent a huge amount of time together because she'd sacrificed all of all of her family time to be dancing and um, but we the time we did spend together we got on very very well so every time I took the rugby field every time I spoke to any players about um, about the you know the, the what our purpose in life was it was always the playback was always about honoring the memory of Francesca um, and any any problem that I encountered after that, in not just in my professional life, but in my private life or anything, you know, was just a minor bump in the road, really, because we you realise that you know life is a is a real journey, um, and sometimes there's an upward trajectory, and sometimes you know there's a, there's a few bumps in the road. We all have a cross to bear in life. Mine and my parents came at a very early age, where you have this seismic incident that happens, and so I, I used it to motivate myself in a in a way that became very powerful um, not just for me but for the people around me because I was driven to play rugby and when I started to play um, I, I was I felt I was driven by a much higher purpose um, because I mean technically I was okay and tactically you know you learn to get better and, and become a, a student of the game but it's all about emotion really um, it's about finding the right connection between your head and your heart and when you're with a lot of other people in a changing room what's going on in their head and their heart is really fundamentally quite important to how they're going to play so i was always very very driven by emotion um i was always searching when i played uh, for, for for finding that connecting tissue that, that 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 links everyone together and to be honest you know when you're in a changing room it's i mean i'm not going to start talking about rugby i mean 10 minutes before the game i'm not going to tell some of the best players that how to go and do their thing it's about it's about touching their heart and, and getting inside that and, and, and being able to connect it all together to so play it back to something that, that, that takes their performance and their them to an emotional level that is superior to anything that's going on in the change room next door. I mean, um, that's a lovely observation, that, because it's like so many things in life. It isn't about the thing. It's about the higher purpose of that thing. 
Does it have a higher purpose? And getting people to connect with that higher purpose really then motivates and becomes profound. Well, I think I think that's an amazing story. We have Francesca to thank yeah. for so much. You're listening to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast brought to you by independent media agency Electric Glue. So there you are. You're you're progressing. You're you've stayed at. Um, the Wasps, isn't it? The mm. rugby league. You didn't join London Irish. Right? Was, no, no, no. <laughs> they well, really missed well, I, out, Well, didn't I they? thought I'd start at the top and work my way down, really, <laughs> um, because that's that's the way you do things, right? Uh, <laughs> I think there's another, another observation there. It's about loyalty, isn't it? And there's a lovely, um, because I went to art school, and there's a lovely thing. A teacher said we were all drawing, you know, sitting around drawing, and he stopped the class and he said, look, I want to just say that when a, drawing is going wrong what you don't do is turn the page over and you start again you keep working on that drawing until it's right and then you turn the page over and then there was this amazing pause and he said i suppose i'm talking about life as well really yeah absolutely isn't that brilliant and i yeah. think you know you read so much today and and this is about you know we, we you know sacrifice to succeed and working on something to get it right to make it right to work and work and work on it and, and knowing that you can do so a profound message there for people yeah, absolutely and and in i don't want to sound too dramatic but you know sport is an incredible it's incredibly powerful um you know I mean, ultimately, rugby is 15 human beings, 25, 26, whatever it might be, against another 25, six human beings. So, but but it's about the sacrifices that you have to make to to each other, you know. And I mean, I, I guess if we were going to war, and God forbid we would ever have to go to war, but you know, some people have had to do that. You know, that's the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? Really, you don't want to go to war. I mean, unless there's something distinctly, you know, disturbing about you, um, you know. So, but you know, you, you, if if you don't do your job, the person next to you loses their life. You know, and if if I don't do my job, that's the difference between getting back on the helicopter or not getting back on the helicopter. You know, now that's 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 very dramatic, but that's that's what happens um, in on the rugby field. It, no one loses their life. But if you are not prepared to make the sacrifices for each other, then the outcomes that you get are, are, are not very good. And I'm, uh, I'm thinking of the Bill Shankly quote about football, aren't yeah. I? The one about um, about life and death. It's much more important yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I can't get the quote yeah. quite right. No, but, you, no, you're right. But but uh, yeah. but I think it's having that kind of having that level of honesty with each other about sacrifice. You know, look, we've. And the other thing about sport is uh, that I've felt in, on reflecting on it for the last uh, however many years, I had an, uh, uh, an incredible, uh, I was lucky enough to have an incredibly successful career um, where, you know, won lots of trophies for, for club, for country, uh, in all sorts of different ways. Lots of highs, majority of highs, few lows, um, as, as you're inevitably going to get injury, loss of form, all sorts of different things. Um, but it's the sacrifices that, not just you have to make to to put to to do that job, but actually more importantly, the sacrifices that everyone else has to make to allow you to do your job. And um, you know, my my, my wife, uh, who I've been with for uh, for for twenty five years, um, you know, it's a very selfish career being a sportsman. Yes, uh, and the reason it's selfish, even though you don't mean it to be, is because it's all about you. And you're in a results-driven business, and it's about getting the results. And this is a results-driven business that analyzes you every week, every every day, every week, every month, every match. Um, you know, and it's very public as well. But it, it's a very selfish career because ultimately, you know, yes, of course, there's the benefits of of you being successful and you being, you know, a, a good sportsman is that maybe people feel proud, but everyone has to sacrifice their their own life to allow you to do what you want to do and and i used to articulate that to the group that i was playing with and just say look you know this is this is what it's all about you know i remember bringing everyone's family and friends into the changing room and saying these are the people that allow you to be the person you are and 
when you go out on that field, if you don't give your best, you're not letting yourself down. That's who you're, this is who you're playing This for. is who you're letting down because, you know, they share every emotion with you. They, there's only ever two emotions in sport. We don't do that drawing thing like football. There's either agony or ecstasy. You either win or you lose. And I think we all know which emotion we prefer better. Um, and you also sacrifice your life to it, yeah. don't you? Well, way, getting, because, you know, and also you know, it's, not, it's not a glamorous career. You know, people think, people yeah. only see the, the glamorous side of a particular sport, but getting your face smashed in all over the world is very underrated, I can assure you. It's a, t it's a really tough career. Um, and, it, you know, they're not rewarded anywhere near the, to, the, to the level that they should be for what they do. But then again, I'm, I, you know, I, motivation and, and sacrifice, you know, all those sacrifices that we made and the generation that I made was not, I, I never thought about rugby by, I never measured it by the, by the financial gain in any way. I mean, if you did, you wouldn't play rugby. You'd go and do something much more creative and much more smart where you could earn a bit more money. Um, so it was never about the money for me. It was, a, it was about, as I said, the purpose. Uh, and yeah. and if you can make profit with purpose, then you're a good man. You know that's but, a great uh, that's a great lesson. Profit with purpose, isn't that? Yeah, I like that. So now, tell me now, with your background, you could have played for Ireland, you could have played for Italy, but you played for England. So that that there was a choice you had to make. Yeah, I, there was. I, I felt I felt I feel very English. I mean, but I'm also as I said earlier, I'm I'm very proud of my heritage, my history, my Italian, my Irish roots. But I was born in England, um, and. I, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm dangerously English because I'm, you know, I'm not conservative. I'm not, you know, I'm outward displays of emotion are, are really important to me. I, I, I have immense pride in being English, but that doesn't mean I don't respect other countries for their pride in being Scottish or Welsh or Irish. I was, I used to become incensed by the fact that when, um, you know, when our Celtic cousins are, are, you know, show that their pride is patriotism, and when English people show their pride, it's somehow perceived as as arrogant and jingoist and, and something else. It's not that we, we, you know, we are as patriotic as as any other country, and I think we we somehow have an issue um, celebrating that. Maybe it's because we've 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 done an awful lot of damage around the world, England, haven't we? Well, really? we, we are the, and, we're, and maybe we're yeah. paying for for our for our for it our could be. for our former sins. We are the dominant nation within uh, the British Isles, so maybe there's an element of that about it. But I, but I was I was drawn to England. I felt yeah. very passionate about it. My, uh, I was given the opportunity to play for Italy, but I, you know, I just didn't feel that it was it was ever that they weren't necessarily a, a particularly strong rugby nation. Ireland came knocking at the door in a typically Irish way. The chairman of Ireland selected. He said. Hello, Lawrence, he said, we've heard you like a few points of the black stuff. He said, how would you like to wear the green shirt of Ireland? I mean, you can't knock their, their charm and their... And he said, uh, we'd hate to see you wearing the white shirt of England when you could be wearing the green shirt of Ireland. And, I love it. And, and offered you a Guinness. And, and offered me a Guinness. And, and three years later, I was, uh, I was sat on top table in, in the Barclay Court Hotel in Dublin, having just captained England against Ireland, where we thumped them by, I don't know, 40 points. And the chairman, Noel Murphy, said, Lal... He said, we nearly had you, boy. He said, we nearly had you. <laughs> that positivity, <laughs> yeah. I love that. But, uh, you, know, it, I, I made, you know, in hindsight, I made the right choice because I, I, had, an, I had a, a privileged England career. I played for England for 13 years. Um, you know, we had an amazing run with some of the, the game's greatest players. Um, and it was an incredible journey um, of discovery. Uh, you know, we, we knew each other inside out. And, and it obviously culminated in in that wonderful night in Sydney where we managed to get over the line against Australia. But, you know... A great were, moment. There, yeah, a great moment. Great there, moment. There were so many different... I had, there was a lovely symmetry to my rugby career because I made my international debut at Twickenham in 1995. I came off the bench as a replacement against South Africa. We lost. Um, and Francois Pinard was playing for South Africa. And then 13 years later, so much water under the bridge, you know, we pretty much achieved everything. And then I played my last game uh, against South Africa as a replacement coming off the bench in the World Cup final in 2007 and we lost so I um, I sort of entered I, I, I exited my career by the same door as I entered it <laughs> you you know I mean? but you were able to smile about yeah. that which absolutely is, which and, is absolutely and, brilliant yeah. I want to just go back over something you said and it's not to do with rugby it's to do with belonging you know again that's something that people you know get very you know that's where nationalism I think is a problem that I always think people who, even though their parents weren't from these isles, but they came here from 
Africa, from Caribbean, from wherever it is, but they were born here. I think they have every right to be as English as somebody who's been here for generations because they are English. It's a very important message to send out to people. Right? That's why I think the nationalism... Yeah, I think I, we get I, a bit concerned I agree. And, and also, it. I think we must, we must reflect for a second on, on each of our own existence. I mean, we're... You, no child, no person is born bad. They're just born into a, into a, into any situation, and the situation that you found yourself in growing up is very different to mine. Is very different to everyone else, and and um, you know you you can't you can't hurt people for or have a go at people for wanting to be better, wanting to you know mm. to have a better life, uh, and 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 I think it's not, it's not until you really meet people who's uh, who have had real sacrifice in their life that you realize actually that uh, that there is um there's so many different layers of of of, uh, of what we would deem as sacrifice you know I, I i well i you know we often feel kind of low sometimes in our life um for various reasons and uh, i will say my parents you know and i agree i will say to anyone that there's always someone worse off than you in life, you know what I mean? So you mustn't feel down, you know, too down about it. You know, just go and reflect on that and, and, and go and see and talk to some of those people because you, you recognise actually there's there's so much more that more sacrifice than can be made. But I also, uh, you know, I love that observation. It's all those influences, you know, from Italian background, East End, Irish that came into your life that made you who you are. And, you know, as a nation, we benefit from those influences coming in, we always have done. You know, this is yeah. the silly. Which thing. is which is why I, I I think we all I feel so kind of disengaged and 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 sort of almost shameful about the, the whole sort of last two years around Europe and the UK. I mean, it's it's an it, it's awful, really. I mean, why shameful? You know, and, and I mean, shameful. You know, why would I? I mean, I my father came to from Italy at the age of twenty two and made his life in this country. So, you know, why why would I opt to, why would I say that's a bad thing to you know it's, And it's, look how we've benefited. Yeah, as exactly. You know, so I mean, yeah. you know, so I, yeah, so I find it very strange really and, and I'm uh, although I'm deeply English and people remember me as English because obviously I played rugby for England for so many years, I I'm I'm prepared to, to open my eyes and, 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 and look way beyond that. And stand up for those roots uh, absolutely. that you came absolutely. from. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean I you know, my parents were Irish and they met here in London and I always think it, it benefited my creativity because I had this wonderful life of observing a kind of quite Irish household and, and the way everybody talked and my father used to say everybody's talking and nobody's listening just like the Irish Parliament and and uh, <laughs> but it helped me become an observer because then I'd go out and I'd be with my English friends or whatever you know and I'd see how they were and I think it benefited me hugely having this sort of um, ability to observe different ways of talking of humor uh, both English and Irish. And it, it was. It, I don't think I'd be the creative person I am no, today I, if I hadn't I, had I that. I think that's a, that's 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 absolutely right. And I, I think when I reflect on my own upbringing, I, I remember that there was always a lot of activity going on at home. And anyone who came in anywhere near the house would. I mean, you can't just come and go. You have to come and stay, and you know, have something to eat, and 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 you know, talk and speak, and and there was just everything going on in. In you know because if you come into an Italian sort of household and you don't uh, say yes to something to eat, even if you're not you know if you're not hungry, you've got to eat. Something. It's food. It's food. You know, <laughs> but also there was this real sense of family, where we would sit down, you know, within the constraints of the of the jobs that my mum and dad were doing, we would always that the family time together would, would wouldn't be every every day like like it isn't in modern life, but there were moments in time which were important and which would need, be celebrated. And which would be celebrated. Mm. Um because uh, you know, as we've all found out over the years, you know, that you never know when that when when you might not be together again. You've now got a very important charity. I'd love to mm. hear a little bit more about that, which is, again, is a brilliant thing. You're using your influence, your fame, uh, your ability to pull people together for the sake of other people. Just tell us a little bit about yeah, well, that I, charity. I think, I, was very, um, I think with success comes responsibility. And I go back to the point around, you know, you can't take it with you. You know, the Irish, there's a 
there's no pockets in the coffin, is there really? So, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously I have my own young children, you know, to look after and my own family to, to care for. But I think with success comes responsibility. Rugby came into my life and changed my life um, in a really positive and productive way and gave me a very positive future. I was born into a situation where um, it wasn't it wasn't the worst by, by any stretch and it wasn't, you know, privileged or the best by any stretch. There was a huge sacrifice. Um, but um, I, I just felt a, a responsibility to give something back, you know, maybe because I was given so much as a young person growing up. So what I what I did is I I became a really good pot filler for other charities, which is no bad thing. I raised, you know, through my endeavours and other people's, you know, persuasion. And uh, I would raise millions of pounds for Help for Heroes, Cancer Research, etc. And they were all great charities and, and brilliant. But I, I sat back after a while and thought, you know what, I'd really like to do something that I'm passionate about. So what are the two things that I care about? One is is young people and, and the other one is rugby because, you know, that's where where I came from. So I set up Rugby Works um, and I started to do a lot of research around like you would do when you set up any business and you go, right, there's not that many charities working in this space around disadvantaged young people, um, disengaged, disadvantaged. And I realised that actually it's not very glamorous, not very sexy, um, you know, it's, and it's really hard work to get any results out of it. But it, it, I realised there was also part of society that was almost being left behind and forgotten um, because they were born into circumstances that, that, that people just didn't consider or care about. So through the, through the values of rugby, through, um, you know, the sport itself, we go into work with some of the most disengaged, disadvantaged young kids in, in areas all around the country, Using rugby initially, we go into the schools, whether they be pupil referral units, they might be alternative provision schools, and um, we engage them in, in on the sports field. But then it's about taking them into the classroom and, and really giving them aspirations, and you know, starting off with confidence, self esteem, but actually lifting their aspirations up and and starting to think about th- them to start thinking about what a positive, um, you know, productive future might look like. And um, you know, I would I would question if, if I was fourteen again. And I found myself born into quite a chaotic background where there was a history of violent abuse, drug abuse, alcoholism, whatever it might be, crime. You know, would I want someone to come and help me? And the answer is, yeah, of course I would. Of course. Uh, and, yeah. and you know, we are, you know, as I said, no kid is born bad. And I, and I think that what the last 12 months has made me reflect on is that the inequality gap that is, I mean, it's always been big in this country. We've always had this class system. But actually there's this invisible class there's this invisible group of people that are forgotten. And I think the inequality gap has, has got significantly bigger yeah, well, um, yes. And over the last 18 months. And I think we all are responsible to do, to do something. We've got to give something back, um, you know, because you can't take it with you. And, and, and what's the point? And so I, I'm passionate about it. We work, as I said, with about a thousand young kids around the country. Um, and um, 65% of young people that are expelled from school end up in prison. I mean, that's a terrifying figure. The other thing that's terrifying about that, isn't it, is that all of a sudden education has become a straitjacket, yeah. not something where kids can kind of really flourish. And what you're doing with Rugby Works is showing them how they can flourish. Yeah. There is another way. Absolutely. And I think not everyone is... Um, it is designed to go to you know to to go to school and and and, and to and to operate in a traditional way yeah, you know yeah. it's structured a, way structured that... way and I think what 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 COVID has, has taught us all is that this obsession with with um, with academia and this obsession with you know the metrics around how many A's and B's and C's your children get is is crazy you it's, know? it's mad and and you know what about measuring you know mental health what about measuring uh, physical activity what about measuring what about giving young people access to the arts to 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 music to sport you know and and why should you get more access because you go to a school where you pay money to go to it you know it, I mean, you know and you can sit exams and you're good at that yeah. as opposed to having yeah. a mind that doesn't uh, respond to that absolutely. kind of restriction and, no, and so terrifying. so i think we we need to we need to change the way that we're thinking and i and i think hopefully um the, the last 18 months has, has given people the opportunity to reflect on that and and also that that we need to do something for the younger generation because you know you and I could talk about our childhood with a lot of smiles hopefully because it was fun being a kid when you were young it, you know I mean yes it was you know there were occasions where you had to get your head down and work but it was a lot of fun I 
I hope, and I, I don't necessarily see it, but I, it's, I think it's a lot harder now to be a young person. You know, you, you have to grow up and take life very seriously, very quickly, whether that's, you know, technology led or whatever it might be. Um, and I think we need to help the young people. Um, yes, and, they've lost and, and, a chance to be innocent. Yeah, and, and, and just not make, not make them not make yeah. them grow up too quickly. You know, let them let them be, let let them explore, let them be creative, let them have fun. So 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 I'm really passionate about about rugby works. Um, I'm 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 trying my best to work with the government to do something quite transformational around. Um, I want to ex I want to try and extend the school day by two hours. Um, not getting existing teachers to do more because I think they're already stretched to the limit. But I think young people don't get enough opportunity in in secondary schools in this country to do enough of the things that they'd like to do, like arts, like sport, like creativity. Everything is about maths and English from the minute you arrive to the minute you leave, unless you happen to have a teacher that's passionate about, you know, art or, or sport. Yeah, yeah. And so I think... Uh, I think we need to extend the school day to to allow young people to catch up, and and I think young people would benefit from that because when we left school, there was so many other things you could go and do. There was you know clubs or youth clubs or creative clubs or sports clubs. You know those things don't exist to the same level that they do now. So I think we we've got to do something to um, to you know to to be transformational, and, and hopefully you know there's a few people that might might concur and agree with that. And that's what Rugby Works is really yeah, I mean, going I, beyond just a charity yeah, trying is. to get the schools to kind of... Because it is tragic, isn't it, mm. in a way, is that there you have this amazing facility. It's used for five days of the week and then comes the weekend and the kids are all sent home. It just lies idle. Instead of saying, on Saturday, I want everybody to come in and we're going to do sport, we're going to yeah. play cricket, well, we, we're well, going we to do that, to, or we're going to do some art, or we're going to do... I mean, 100%. We grew up in, in what I'd like to call communities where... You know the the sports club, the school, the church, the library, the you know the th the, the you know the the, sh the shops were part of your community. You know, and and I think that we are in danger of well, in many places we don't just it just doesn't exist anymore. And so, you know, sports clubs, schools, all sorts of things can become that community. But if it's there, why should it not be shared by everyone? You know, I've, I've, I have this. Uh, hatred. I mean, I'm just this anger that rages in me that you know. 80%, 90% of the best sports facilities in this country are locked up for six months of the year. I mean, it's just absurd. It is madness, you know, isn't it? I mean, if you're a private school, of which I benefited from going to, why should you be given tax and charitable tax status um, for, for not open? But, I mean, by all means, get charitable tax status, but you've got to share some of the, uh, the, sh the, share the benefits some of the benefits and the resources with your local community. You know, I, I, I just find it incredible. So I, I think there is this... That there is this inequality that we need to readdress, whether it's financial, whether, you know, it's there's so many ways that we can do that. And um, the charity is about addressing that and, and shining a light. And I think there's never going to be a greater time than now, post-COVID, about young, disadvantaged people who haven't had the opportunities. There's there's some serious mental health issues that are, you know, not just in young people, but in all of us that are, that are going to be exposed quite soon, but particularly in young people because they've had an incredible 18 months that they've had to cope with. And, and uh, yeah, I think we need to do something transformational and game-changing. Uh, but you can't do it on your own, a bit like playing rugby. You can't win on your own. You need, you, we, but you need to get this, you need to prick people's conscience and you need to get on, get this momentum that builds and builds and builds. And, and we'll you know, get there. You know, it is amazing because the most incredible natural resource we have are people. Mm. And it's just creating opportunity for those people to be better and to inspire others around them and so often you read about people who became famous or who've done something incredible from music to the arts and how often it was an incidental meeting with somebody else creating the opportunity for that to happen again and again and again is going to benefit us all how could we get involved with rugby works is there a, a message that we can leave people out there would you know go on to a Side well, I think well, you. Th there are so many young people that need our, our help and our support. Um, I mean, we are we are a, a growing charity. We work with over a, about a thousand young people in across about thirty five different schools in some of the some of the uh, uh, the most deprived areas around around the country. Um, but I think you know, look, we you can get involved either either physically through through um, volunteering or or actually you know. 
um, fundraising. Um, I just think is it's important to, um, you know, to to get that sense of community back within our within our schools, within within our towns, within our you know the places that we live. Um, so yeah, look, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm very driven by it. Maybe maybe it's a, um, a you know it's a sort of an extension of 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 my rugby career that finished at 35 and I was determined to make sure that rugby you know, because rugby let's be honest is most of the young people I work with um they're not necessarily going to go on and play rugby for England but if, if rugby is the is the hook it's just the metaphor really for them thinking about themselves and their life in a very different way it could be anything could be could be art could be music but it just happens to be rugby and and therefore that's certainly what it did to me it made me think differently about my life um it gave me enjoyment it, it made me respect myself and people around me um it gave me discipline gave me structure um gave me a lot of things gave me a lot of uh, aches and pains as well uh, <laughs> about 16 operations but, uh, any but, broken no, how yeah. was it? How? no well no that was roman i think I didn't, right. I, did, I didn't i didn't That's inherit that from, background. i didn't inherit that there's a lot of people who tried trust me but uh, with very good reason but uh, no That's i didn't manage wonderful. to break my nose so no look i'm as i said the greatest gift in life is giving and yeah. um you know we can't spend all our life taking because uh, ultimately you know there's nowhere to take it well that's a wonderful absolutely inspirational uh moment to sort of draw this to to an end there's always one thing i ask everybody what have you sacrificed today what have i sacrificed today um well i could have i could have spent the day with my family probably but uh because for the first time in a long time, they're all they're all under one roof. Um, but uh, they would say, "Dad, you know, don't change the habit of a lifetime." Really, <laughs> we, we didn't see you for many moments of uh, of. So of don't that. worry. So, so, don't, so don't worry. We won't hold it against you. And uh, we know you're on a mission. And we know, yeah, we know you're a man on a mission. Well, all I can say is, um, um, for everybody, please do engage with Rugby Works. It's doing phenomenal work, and uh, that was Lawrence Delalio. Uh, what a pleasure. Lawrence, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sacrifice and Success, a podcast brought to you by Electric Glue, an independent media agency that believes to succeed in the complex media landscape you need to sacrifice. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast was created by Soho Radio Studios.